And we are live with uh, Mike. How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Billido. <laughs> Billido. Um, so Mike is from Plastic Oceans Europe, um, formerly co and still coastwise. Uh, he's actually a Canadian. That's the only reason why I even talk to him. And <laughs> I'm Adrian with Plastic Oceans Canada. So um, where are you right now, Mike? Uh, I'm in my flat in Barcelona about 150 meters from the beach, but I can't go to it. <laughs> when was the last time you were allowed to go to a beach? Uh, I think it's been close to two weeks now. Heavy. Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the property that I'm living on in Tofino is luckily the inlets down where the landlords are. Um, we can walk to the water um, without even leaving the property, but yeah, we're still allowed to go to the beach here in Canada. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last, but yeah, that's got to suck when you're across the street from the beach and can't even go there. Yeah. Luckily there's no surf, so it's all right. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we literally before we pressed record, we were talking about how we're not going to really go into COVID, but we might as well. I mean, it's there. It's the thing. It's the reason why we're, we're even have this time to trial these interviews and talk these stories. Um, what was the motivation with closing the beaches in Spain with COVID? Well, it was just trying to encourage social distancing. I mean, it's so bad right now. And it has the second highest um, infection increase rate in the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, Barceloneta, where, where I live, is a tourist hotspot. And, yeah, you know, you try to go for a, a run along the beach at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're running with, like, 900 other people. So, <laughs> you know, um, they just needed to shut things down and there's still some people walking around, but for the most part, people are pretty good and stay inside, but it's, it's a bit of a ghost town compared to what Barcelona usually is. Yeah. And I actually, I, so when I got back home, I guess it was about a week ago, um, I heard that the beaches in Europe and surfing was not being allowed. Uh, mm -hmm. cause I'd been away for about two weeks, um, up in the mountains and with uh, that last head and, I was I was looking forward to getting home and surfing, <laughs> so I saw my neighbors and was like, "Oh, great! I, you know, no one's around. And try to get in the water." And they're like, "Oh, it might be closed soon." And, and it turns out that actually one of the motivations was like people are going to get injured, right? And we have to not put the stress on the hospitals of people getting injured and doing something else. But I think mm -hmm. places like Europe, I jumped to the conclusion like you talked about is, you know, it's just way more people and way more population, so it's just trying to avoid and get that social distancing going on. Yeah, I mean, this is like a little grid. It's like a maze, um, like in this specific area. And if you walk outside, it's kind of hard to stay away from another person. It's kind of weird if you go out to take your rubbish out or something, you you cross another person and both of you kind of stop and go to <laughs> as far away from each other as you can. Or if there's nowhere to go, you sort of turn down another road and go the long way home. It's, it's a kind of a, an eerie thing. Um, the beach is wide open, but yeah, you know, even on a on a quiet, um, during the quiet season on, on not such a nice day, there's still like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people down the beach. So they sort of, they just have to close it. That's understandable. And hopefully this does effectively flatten the curve. I mean, it's way more over where you guys are living than we have to deal with here. But I think Canada jumped on it earlier or earlier in the outbreak, you know, not necessarily in physical time, but hopefully um, mm -hmm. we don't get to that stage. But let's move on past um, COVID. Um, personally, I think everyone's got too much of that going on um you know we there's lots of news about that and 
really the whole idea with uh, with these interviews is talking to people that have been successful um, or at least uh, you know get projects up and going regarding the uh, pandemic that we had prior to COVID, which is plastic in our waterways. So what got what was your start with uh, getting onto this topic? I mean, first time you reached out and we started talking, I think it was around November, and um, you sent me the link of the projects that you'd been doing in New Zealand. But uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory of how you got into working with waste plastics in our waterways? Yeah, um, when I was younger, I grew up on the Great Lakes in Canada. So I grew up on Lake Erie and uh, I dabbled a little bit in diving and, you know, water skiing and stuff. But I'd always been sort of landlocked. And then when I was 24, I was um, I learned how to surf in Scotland <laughs> and that was it. I was hooked. And um, I ended up after years of traveling, I ended up in New Zealand and um, I worked as a dive master for a dive company there at the top of the South Island. And it was great. It's just in the water pretty much every day. And which town was that in? Uh, I was living in Blenheim and then we were operating out of Picton. No way. Cause I actually drove a dive boat out of Kaikoura and at the time oh. I went to the, went to the shop in Picton and the one in Kaikoura. So I'm wondering yeah. if I could, I don't. I think they sold both dive shops, but that'd be hilarious if both of us actually worked for the same people in New Zealand and now both work for Plastic Oceans. <laughs> that'd be kind of crazy. I'm sure we can figure it out. <laughs> well, figure that out off offline or off of the. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a hilarious little connection. But yeah. my first scuba dive was in in Picton in the harbor. Um, I did my open water there and advanced, and then went. Then they sent me down to Kaikoura to drive the boat, and that's where I did my rescue. Great. Awesome. It's I love Kaikoura. Beautiful area. And, and actually, I thought I was signing up to drive the boat in Picton. I was kind of bummed being a surfer. And, and then they're like, oh, no, we didn't tell you. You're actually going to be driving out to Kaikoura. I was like, no way. I looked it up and it's like the best surf spots in the South Island. Yeah. In some people's opinion, but I thought it was amazing. And um, yeah. and yeah, it was a great town. I mean, it's very much like BC and Vancouver Island. I find the South Island in New Zealand. Kind yeah. of like feel at home in both spots, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. And so. I, I remember a good part of uh, that, that video you sent us um, when we first started chatting and you were talking about how the ocean kind of made you into the person you wanted to be. So you kind of, you didn't really like who you were prior <laughs> or something, but there's <laughs> in there about how the ocean kind of saved your life. So that's why you want to save it. And I don't know, do you remember that line? Yeah, basically, like, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was, I wouldn't say I didn't like who I was, but I was definitely like had a lot of room for growth and improvement. And uh, I was out finding myself. And when I got to New Zealand, um, I I went through a big change and I got really attached to New Zealand and it was the ocean. It was the ocean access. Um, I never lived inland in New Zealand. I was always, always by the coast. And I spent nine years there, better part of nine years down there. So I've got permanent residency there and everything, and I'm quite attached to it. And I guess I have a Canadian passport, but everything else is in <laughs> New Zealand documentation. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I ended up just seeing how how much people ask from the sea, and how I was really into spearfishing and um, collecting shellfish um, to eat and stuff like that. Um, and I realized that you can live off the land and, uh, and then you see, you go to some parts and you see people like we had a big problem with hunters uh, shooting deer and leaving the carcasses in the riverbeds and letting, you know, 
letting everything kind of flow out into the surf beaches and onto the beaches where kids were playing. And it started like that. And then I started noticing people poaching and taking more than their quota of shellfish and then backpackers leaving their stuff behind that freedom camping spots. And, um, yeah, I ended up living in this little town, um, of 28 people on the West coast of the South Island. And I worked for the department of conservation, um, as a biodiversity ranger worked with Kiwis mainly, but I got to do some cool things on top of that, like go out and, um, monitor dolphins in a lagoon out of a kayak for a few days. And we tried to catch a big bull seal. And that was probably the most heartbreaking thing. That was when things really started to set in as far as plastic pollution for me, when I saw this big, massive male, um, for a seal with, you know, those plastic straps that go around boxes when they get delivered, yeah. it was around his neck, cutting into the back of his neck. And you could tell that he was starving. He was just a bag of bones. Um, but you can't approach him. He, like if he starts to move, like he's got a better chance of surviving on land than in the sea. And a couple of us, we kind of followed him for a couple of days and we got, kept going to check on him, but eventually he was gone. And I'm sure by the state of him, he didn't make it. And that just infuriated me. Um, yeah. And then, and then uh, a big storm hit and ended up tearing out a legacy landfill um, close to the village that I was living in uh, a landfill that had been decommissioned for 20 years and just chucked rubbish all through the, all through the riverbed, 25 kilometers of riverbed and then 150 kilometers of pristine beaches uh, in a Marine reserve and into unmodified lagoons. And yeah, it was pretty awful. So that's what that piece was on. Um, and we're going to share these links if anyone's interested or anyone ever even watches this. Um, <laughs> uh, these links will be in the description of, of what Mike got up to there. And so that's, that's when that all happened is that legacy landfill um, burst open and that's how you ended up deploying all of those volunteers. Like how many volunteers and how long was that cleanup for? Well, there were several different stages of it. To be, actually, it's the 24th today, and the, the storm happened on the 26th. So it's the 25th in New Zealand, so the storm happened a year ago tomorrow. Um, so it was, it was uh, I don't know. We had trouble keeping track of the volunteers at the beginning. It was basically me and a few locals and a pen and a piece of paper, and uh, we were trying to activate something within central government and there was a lot of you know finger pointing and uh heel dragging going on and not much happening so we used some helicopter donations as like a sort of a bargaining tool and ended up getting some help from from the government and we just started flying people and people were coming from all over new zealand we were just flying them to these remote beaches because all the bridges blew out so we couldn't drive anywhere oh can we pause for a sec? It looks like there's the applause is happening. Yeah, why don't you go outside and show everyone that um, that might watch this what's going on every night in Barcelona? So this is one of the cool. Yeah, so it's 8 p.m. here. Yeah, tell us what's going on. All right, um, this is on my balcony, and this happens every night at eight o'clock. <laughs> they play music. And people clap and it's sort of like a wave. It starts here and then these people eventually go inside and it works its way all the way down there. <laughs> uh, it's pretty amazing. The first couple of times I experienced it, I had tears in my eyes because it's just like, you know, 
most of these neighbors we never we never see or talk to, even though we live so close to each other. And then, um, and now like everybody's out clapping every night for the medical staff and just trying to make noise. And there's boats out there um, blowing their horns, and there's people playing music and dancing and banging pot lids and. Um, sometimes the police or the council workers will come through beeping their horns and oh, it's just awesome. That's nice. I mean, I don't think we really got the the effect of the sound of what was going on, but we got a little bit of a view of everyone out on their patio and some clapping hands on the audio. But um, that's, that's really one of the coolest things I'm, I'm seeing. And I just actually saw that's going on in Canada now. I'm starting, the first I heard about it was last night. So seven o'clock and um, in BC, at least, people are getting outside and clapping for the medical workers and honking their horns. And it's now it's a global wave, right? And it's one of these things that's uh, it's kind of cool to see. And one of the first things that really caught my eye over in Europe with this lockdown was um, some Italian holding a concert on his patio, and the whole like all the other patios that kind of look like it's on your street. Everyone's outside dancing, and you know, just kind of still trying to have a good time together. And yeah, so it's, yeah. it's nice to see people. Um, kind of and as well if that's going on every night I mean celebrating the people that are out there trying to save lives and keep the medical system going it's inspiring yeah they do like the, it's like a it's a Facebook announcement I've never seen the Facebook announcement because you can just hear it but um there was a Facebook announcement last week I was up on the roof doing some work and um a nice sunny day and all of a sudden I heard everybody clapping and it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and they were clapping for the people who were out cleaning the streets and picking up rubbish and emptying the bins and mm-hmm. and whatnot and I thought that was really amazing too like all these people that are essential workers and they're out there putting themselves at risk and doing things while we're home um you know doing what we're supposed to be doing and people showing you know appreciation for that it's it's a super positive thing and yeah yeah, um, one thing, it's, this is not an enjoyable experience, I think, across the world, but we are seeing this um, solidarity come in and people unifying over, you know, just trying to keep each other positive and that we're all on this together and we are going to see the other side of it. Um, so, but yeah, um, we, like we were saying in the beginning, try not to focus too much on COVID. Um, yeah. There. Um, it's good to see everyone's staying in good spirits in your neighborhood. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, going back to New Zealand, um, yeah, yeah it, just, it really caught my eye about like how, how big of an effort. And I really hope everyone actually presses that link. It's a bit of a long video, but it kind of shows a local councilman talking about how um, the problem wasn't really that bad or there was just no budget to assess it. And then it cuts to a piece about you being like, I don't remember him doing anything. <laughs> so I mean, you're, you're beginning stages on a, on a major effort um, was, you know, you kind of got thrown in the deep end um, on trying to mobilize an effort that was needed because of an environmental incident that basically opened up, um, how do you want to call it, one of our uh, coffins or um, skeletons in the closet, really. I mean, it was a legacy landfill that had been shut down for 20 years and an environmental thing came through and just reopened it back up. And really, at the end of the day, it should have been council's um, responsibility, but it was just you and a bunch of good meaning citizens that got out there and did the hard yards and cleaned up. So, yeah. And it was, I was supposed to fly to, um, a couple of weeks after that happened, I was supposed to fly to Argentina and I was planning on traveling through, uh, Latin America for a little bit and then coming here. Um, and I put that on hold because I couldn't walk away from the problem, especially, but I thought, you know, nobody's doing anything, but if I raise a ruckus, people will get behind me and then, 
you know, eventually the government will come in and do the right thing and it might take a week or two, but you know, then I'll be able to move on. And I know that it's in good hands. And like 10 weeks later, I was still pulling 18 hour days and battling with uh, that councilman that you mentioned, who's a mayor, who's extremely dodgy and lies a lot and (laughs) hasn't changed his ways. Um, But the good thing that came out of it was that there was a lot of awareness around what we're, (laughs) what we're, uh, what we're, what we buy every day and what we, what we do with our waste. Um, but you know, they made an announcement in September cause there's hundreds of these, uh, legacy landfills that are open and compromised around the country. Like, well, a few of them are open and compromised, but there's hundreds of them around the country and they haven't identified them all yet and they haven't done anything about it. And central government and, and announced that they were going to go and work with local councils and put it in an action plan so that this didn't happen again. And that same area where I was working, it's happening again. And it's spilling out because they haven't even removed the other 50% of the landfill a year on. And, but I mean, obviously now they can't do anything about it, but they could have, and they're just getting hammered with storms. They thought that the river was going to grade. It didn't grade because everything's getting churned up and there's rubbish washing into that marine reserve still. So, I mean, that's the funny, or not funny at all, but um, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I put all my, my garbage in the garbage bin, which goes to a landfill or go into recycling. But I mean, the curtain's really getting pulled back, I think, where, you know, that's, that's a huge example of, I mean, it's only a matter of time before it ends up in the ocean. So, mm. I mean, the number one thing anyone can do is refuse, you know, like, because we've, we've learned that uh, recycling doesn't actually work in waste management, even in what in a developing country or developed country, you think that you're doing the right thing and that it's contained, but it's only a matter of time before nature decides to open up the floodgates and, and that's gone into our ocean. So really at the end of the day, everything that we consume has a chance of getting into the ocean and affecting marine life as we've all learned what the issues are. So um, sadly it takes a huge, huge thing like that to, to wake people up. Um, but hopefully, yeah, now the government has an action plan. Like you're saying, it's not going to happen in a couple of weeks, but hopefully through that disaster that something actually does happen and, and they start getting better practice. And the fact that they're not even identified is, is insane to me. The fact that like they don't even know where their old dumps are. Like how does not anyone not remember where the dump was, you know, and then that they just put a bunch of garbage on top of it and, or, or topsoil on top of it and buried it and hope that it would just go away. I mean, nothing doesn't go away. Yeah, that doesn't. But it, I guess New Zealand, because of the low population, and if you think like back like 50, 60 years ago or longer, like there's nobody around. So they didn't have any waste management structure or anything like that. So they would just dig a hole and chuck it into like a little ravine because it was easy and, and you know, kind of bury it <laughs> eventually when it got full. And I, I've talked to people who are like, I remember that land, landfill being open and there was no regulation. Like we would just back our trucks up and we would throw everything in there. And like there was like asbestos in there and all sorts of asbestos and like everything. And it's just like, like it, it, my, it boggles my mind. But the fact that like my neighbor can tell me, <laughs> my old neighbor could tell me, like I remember throwing stuff in that landfill and I'm like, oh. And it's even in that news piece, right? Like, um, so I'm going to go into a screen share now and kind of show some of these things. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they actually interview. Can you see all that? Yeah. 
Yeah, so this is the piece I'm talking about and the link will be there, but um, they actually do interview people in the town and they, they show old photos of that landfill and, and mm. you know, how people used to, it was almost like a secondhand store. Like people would go and, like you said, just back up the ute and drop everything outside. And, but then other people would go by and, and kind of mine it, you know, be like, oh, what can I find there? So they go and drop some stuff off and then go and pick up through other people's garbage. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's a bunch going on. You did this, it sounds like about a year ago, and then you got into some other projects. Um, you did, is this a bike trip that you did? Um, no, this is um, a couple that bikes around New Zealand giving talks about um, uh, waste reduction. So they're basically about single use waste minimization and eventually elimination and they're amazing and they work towards legislation and um, they do a lot of talks and a lot of great work. And during the, during the cleanup, they asked if I would um, jump on for a podcast with them. So, okay, so yeah, this we, podcast that you did with them and then they, with them. yeah. So this link I'm going to set up, um, they can, if people want to learn more about what these, what these two get up to, um, they can click the other links, but yeah, the direct link will be to your interview um, there. Um, yeah. Let's see what else we got here. That's you looking real sexy on on a rock. <laughs> like Mayor is a piece of shit and he's not doing anything. Um, but yeah, all these links will be there. That people can can uh, check out. But so yeah. what happened is um, you were over in Barcelona and and reached out about um, I guess getting access to the movie A Plastic Ocean for some screenings because you were trying to keep your efforts going now that you're in Europe. So actually, why don't we talk, you're in Europe because why? Okay, so yeah. I, what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a love you story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I went to the Philippines for like 10 days to go and chill out and I ended up doing some beach cleanups there with some locals and meeting some people there and uh, and I realized there's no way I'm going to escape, escape this. I came here, um, yeah, chasing love and it's all working out very well. And, uh, so I'm um, in an apartment together, so you don't really have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically <laughs> we're stuck in a 30 meters, 30 square meter flat, um, in the middle of a city quarantined. <laughs> so yeah, it's going well but we get along. So it's great. And, uh, so I'm, um, I got here and I saw the state of the beaches here and it's just crazy. And so I thought, well, I'm going to continue doing whatever I can, but I moved here and I can't speak Spanish yet. And I can't speak Catalan and I don't know anybody and I don't have any contacts. So I just started doing what I could. And I, um, started liaising with different people around the area that were doing some work and slowly laying groundwork to do something big. Um, if someone would help me. And, uh, I thought if I started doing some screening events, I could raise some funds to do a bit more work. And that's when I reached out to you. And, you know, a few months later, really here I am, um, uh, <laughs> opening up an office in Barcelona. So for those that don't know, I have zero authority with plastic oceans, but what happened <laughs> is Mike reached out um about getting some screening rights to the film of Plastic Ocean, which most people know has helped raise the global um consciousness up to this issue. And um we've also got a great tool which is a twenty two minute version that uh, works really well in schools and for um short screenings and going into a QA. So at that same time Plastic Oceans Global had just actually mentioned if I knew anyone in Europe and there were some other people that had worked on this topic and some had actually recently published a book and didn't know if they were really the right person. And 
and just after watching the links that you had sent me, I was like, I don't know, man, this guy kind of seems like a go-getter and probably you know, going to do something. Um, I you know, talked to him and, uh, and yeah, luckily they did. <laughs> luckily yeah. for us, I think really. Um, cause it's great as, as, as we know, you had an old organization called Coastwise and, and before I joined Plastic Oceans, I had Ocean Ambassadors in the South Pacific and really that, I think mutually we we dropped those things and they're still kind of like they're existing in the ether, but really to kind of join up on the plastic oceans team to hopefully try to get some consistent messaging and some consolidated efforts uh, across, Mm -hmm. across the, um, the board and not necessarily trying to do any, everything because no one can, but just at least get some consistent messaging out there on what people can do. So yeah, anyway, uh, Mike is now opened the office of plastic oceans Europe and, Barcelona and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah he's going into so I guess you had a launch event is I'm gonna share the screen again um, tell us about your launch event is there a photo of this up there yep uh, a little bit lower right there the orange one yep yeah so we teamed up with um, Sharma climbing which is Chris Sharma's climbing center here in Barcelona and uh, we held an event there um, we teamed up with Kashaya Kombucha as well. Um, both like Kashaya Kombucha and Sharma Climbing are definitely worth having a look if you haven't heard of either one. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris came out and um, spoke at the beginning and sort of opened up the night. And we just did a we did a bit of Q and A. We showed a few short films. We showed a climbing film. We showed a short version of Plastic Ocean. Um, and just did a bit of a presentation. I told my story and why it was important to me to continue this work and how I'm just basically working out of passion and I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I'm just here to try to make a change. This is crazy. (laughs) Um, So most of that there, that's wet wipes, most of it. So that's just basically all of that that we can see is predominantly wet wipes. So if you quantified all of that, 85% of that would be wet wipes. And that was that storm that happened um, previous to your launch event that you were you were sending me some messages and you're like, ah, oh, it's a complete disaster. And and they like basically council said you weren't allowed to go and do a cleanup. Is that all through that storm? Yeah. So all right. So it's um, there's a, there's been a couple of storms. And so what happens is they've got a bit of a problem and they can't really lift up the city to fix the problem. But they've got like a, a sewage problem and a water problem here. And so the streets fill up with um, litter and rubbish. People think that they can just flick their cigarette butts wherever they want. And they just, I don't know, there's just plastic and polystyrene blowing all over the place all the time, straws, everything. Um, And that stuff ends up getting washed down the storm sewer drains and it starts to clog it. On top of that, um, people are flushing things like this down the toilet. Um, And so this just clogs, clogs, clogs. It doesn't rain here very often, but when it does, it rains quite a bit. Uh, the storm sewers start to flood the streets, and so they have to open the outflows. The rubbish washes out into the med, and then when we get storms, they're usually sort of onshore, so a lot of it ends up onto the beaches, but you know, so probably the majority open, of it stays out there. They're just opening up the tap straight into the Mediterranean Sea from a major city like Barcelona. It's not just Barcelona. That's everywhere. So that's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like we really need you there in Europe and um, getting, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about um, you've had some frustration with 
trying to get people activated, it sounds like there's a lot of um, restrictions on when something like this is going on where you tried to mobilize a few people. And I remember being like, just say BYO gloves, bring your own bag, but like just get out there and do what you can. And, and you were pretty much told to, to cease and desist, right? Well, it wasn't me actually. So I, I, I am not running beach cleanups here because there's so many other organizations running beach cleanups already. And if we have too many people doing beach cleanups, then it's not going to be done properly. So I'm trying to liaise with those organizations. Like there's some, like two off the top of my head would be pure clean earth and, um, surf rider Barcelona. And, you know, they organize, um, beach cleanups and try to raise awareness, um, with their volunteers who come out. But yeah, you have to get a permit to do a beach cleanup here. And after that storm, Gloria, the second one, which was really, really bad. Um, on the Saturday, there were a lot of groups that were going to come out and do some cleanups and the council told them not to, but what had happened is a lot of stuff ended up getting ripped down um through the riverways it was a lot of woody debris and so that got washed up and there was a, onto the beach as well so there was a lot of entanglement and there were big rocks and everything and so when i first heard that and i heard that um the council had asked everybody not to or told everybody you're not allowed to go out onto we're revoking the permits for now um you're not allowed to go out and clean it up um, but then I saw the work that they were doing and they actually put in a team and they cleaned it up and they did a really great job of doing it. I did a little bit more digging and met with some NGOs and met with some people who have contacts in the councils and stuff. And apparently this council is really open to making changes. doesn't necessarily know where to start, but they're open to it and working with people. And so uh, that that's a really positive thing. And that makes me feel like it's not hopeless, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we do need, to, I mean, apart from the times that we're all dealing with right now, but yeah, we can't get hopeless on anything because really at the end of the day, like seeing all of that, what's happening there is they're opening up the tap, it goes into the med, washing back up on the beaches is the exact same thing as uh, those, that landfill in New Zealand. I mean, the curtain's getting pulled back, you know, like all yeah. this stuff goes in and people think it's out of sight, out of mind, but it's it's not gone away and then comes back to bite us and the show and it's just way more effort and way more resources to go and clean it up again for a second time so um but that's actually really great to hear that they're open to change and i mean we we see that in canada right now so i was just doing an interview right before this where they were asking about what i would see for change or what change i would want to see and i honestly couldn't think of anything because here we've got great legislation coming in on national wide single-use bans and got innovation accelerators going on and funds for people to look into alternatives and waste processing. So, you know, we are seeing that momentum going on. It sounds like globally, uh, like, like it is going on over there. And as well, I like how you like, yeah, we're not, um, we're not doing cleanups in Europe. There's people that already do that. And that's something that I really like to get across to people is, you know, plastic oceans are really an information share, you know, um, we can't be everywhere. And there's a lot of great people doing amazing work and really our job, is to to spread that message and you know we, we the organization started with distributing the film of plastic ocean and we've quickly you know we've got great other films we've got eating up easter which is about rapa nui and can relate to anywhere that's developing you know about facing globalization in a, in a remote community um mm -hmm. all the shorts that you can see on the films page these are great stories of other people and how the ocean what the ocean means to them or what they're doing so Really, that's our job is to just provide the information for everyone to so they can be the solution. And, you know, that's a big enough job in itself. <laughs> and then get out yeah. there and support the people that are cleaning up and support the ones that are um, innovating and 
and coming up with great new um great new ways that we can eliminate plastics yeah yeah i mean that's one thing that really i mean i think you and i talked about this before but when you start off your own thing and you were you had you were years ahead of me with your organization but um when you start off your own thing it's sort of like it's your baby and you sort of want to you want to stick to your own values and your own morals and your direction and my whole thing was about eae education awareness and empowerment and i you know joining i had a friend who said why don't you join up with another organization you know and i was like i don't want to sell out to anybody or you know i don't want to like lose any of my direction or anything like that but after talking to everybody and seeing how things were had developed with plastic oceans i realized that it was just all along the same lines and it was just a bigger platform and i was like i'm not selling out all I'm doing is like hanging up the ability to go and get a hero badge and joining up with somebody who I believe in and they're going to, they're, they're working towards the same thing I'm working towards. And I love the fact that it's about working with people who are already doing good work and empowering them and getting them to do, to do things in their own backyard. Cause you're right. We can't be everywhere, you know? And I think that's what really resonated with me when I first talked to you and I actually had put you on speakerphone and I had one of my staff with me in Fiji when we were talking and, and you were like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, get a hero badge. <laughs> I was like, All right, whatever I can do to get you going. Because, I mean, with my old organization, it was by accident. Someone else, I mean, I was just trying to help somebody else do a, a job. And they coined the name Ocean Ambassadors. And, and then we were the Ocean Ambassadors of the Green Island Project. And then we kind of, I started working on some social enterprise things. And somehow it just, we became our own organization. And then people were like, well, oh, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. I was like, uh, okay. So it was a full, full accident. And then, yeah, mo moving home to Canada. And, and I did live through a bunch of years being the face of that organization. And I hated it. I, like you're too attached to it. And it's like, you are your own person still. And it just happens to be, that's what you do for work. So, you know, teaming up with Plastic Oceans and taking on the Canadian office was, um, was really happy for me because I got to become anonymous again, you know, mm. and shine a light on the people that are really the true heroes. And, coming back home, I no longer had a big project, you know, I had to put those all to bed because um, we just weren't getting support in these developing countries and we we're overworked and underfinanced and it came time to come home and, you know, make some smart decisions. And so when this opportunity came up, it was like, this is great. We can, with this big platform, if we're able to shine a light on all these other great people, and even if I just focus on Canada for the first couple of years, um, there's enough going on. And originally I thought we were going to get support with people in Canada so I could take it back out to these projects I'd been working on, but very quickly learned like, you know, we're at a stage here where things are just really happening for the first time that can be replicated in other places, but they got to get it right here first. So we can learn from yeah. all of those things like legislation and waste processing and, and all of that. Then yeah, we've, it'd be great to just spread that word and people can learn from the ones that are succeeding and also learn from the failures, you know, not everything yeah. works. One thing that I learned in the, like during the cleanup in New Zealand, is, you know, like they started sending in all these big guns, um, different council members and response team members and stuff like that. And people were coming in and they, they were trying to go in and ask the locals, you know, can we get helicopters for tomorrow? Uh, can we open up accounts at this place for volunteers to come and get food? And, yeah. and they weren't getting, a huge response at first because everybody's going, Hey, look, we're a rural community. We're isolated. Who are you guys coming in with your fancy, you know? And so they needed me to go and talk to people. Like one guy wanted to go in and pay one of the tabs at the restaurant. And there's like, no, get Mike. 
And so that was something that I learned the value of somebody who's been there and knows everybody. I knew the landscape. I knew the, I knew the way everything works. I knew most of the people and, and the weather patterns and everything like that. And that was invaluable. And so um, one of the guys who sort of mentored me through it um, from Maritime New Zealand, he was like, the first thing I do when I show up at a response, whether it's somewhere in the South Pacific Islands or somewhere in New Zealand or Australia, he's like, I walk into a community and I find you. I find the guy who knows everybody and I pick your brain and I help you get the job done. I don't come in and do the job. And that's what I like about what we're doing is we're going to find those people and help them get their job done. And I really, you know, that really motivated me and I, I can still hear those words in my head. And I think about that every day. And right now I've got so many small little NGOs that are just starting up and just trying to get things going, contacting me from all around Europe. Like every day I'm talking to at least two of them and it excites me because they're acting out of passion. Yeah. not out of a desire for fame and I get to play a role in helping them along to do good work. And, you know, it makes me really excited to, to do my job every day. And that was the whole idea behind the run against plastic in Canada. We met not this inspiring guy that has run across Canada three times, picking up bottles and cans and <laughs> he's got a Facebook page, but it's like got a thousand people following it. And it's just this core group, but he just deserves so much credit. And then we we're going to use him as our mascot and sort of our inspiration. And, and meet all these amazing people along the way that that really are the ones that are you know in their community they're that you that was there in that town in New Zealand that that knows everyone at the cafes and, and knows the local councilmen and, and knows the local schools and and if if anything if we can just shine a light on them so anyone and across the country they want to get involved in this topic it's like <laughs> there's only so much we can do because we don't live there right so talk yeah. to this person and um, yeah that was really that goal and and I don't know, like you said, it, it makes you want to wake up every morning because I find I'm learning from all of them, right? Like, mm. uh, like oh, what worked for you here? What worked for you there? Or how do you get this done? And, and if we can just all share that information <clears throat> and work together, then we've actually got a chance. Um, so what's going on? I mean, we might as well try to not keep this three hours long because I'm not Joe Rogan and um, <laughs> you're not Elon Musk, so probably not going to get here, but, um, Who knows? Um, any sort of like parting words on what we should expect from, from Plastic Oceans Europe and you, Mike, and uh, formerly Coastwise? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely um, working. I'm still putting in like 12-hour days right now. Just um, got a few things in the mix and liaising with some really incredible people. Uh, if anybody from Europe's watching this and they want to get involved, feel free to reach out. Um, by all means. And, uh, yeah, to anybody who's out there and wants to make a difference, just, you know, don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in as long as you're acting out of passion, um, and acting out of true belief in what, and whatever the cause is, um, you'll be successful. You'll have an impact. Absolutely. It's way better than being an armchair activist and telling people like yourself what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, <laughs> help, you know, like, uh, yeah. so yeah. Um, well, thanks for that, Mike. And I, I know you're going to start doing some podcasts and interviews yourself with um, the network that you've been trying to create to get some change going. Um, when should, or I guess, once you get that going, can you send us the link and I'll add it to the description of this. Um, and I imagine that'll yeah. come up on Plastic Oceans Europe pages as well. Um, yeah. When should we expect to hear more from you and the people that you're talking to? Uh, hopefully do our first chat next week. I'm just locking in some dates and, uh, 
yeah, hopefully I can manage it as well as you do. <laughs> just have a great. Chat. Like I'm really <laughs> doing anything other than just talking to people and asking them what motivates them. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you got some great, a great lineup of people. I'm looking forward to hearing from them because uh, I think you're focusing more on athletes, right? Who spend their time outside. Um, focusing on athletes because um, I think that I've got a little bit of a theory. I've got a theory that um, the people who most of the people who are in power right now are kind of set in their ways. And it's great that we go out and try to change their minds and stuff like that, but we're not going to fully. Um, and I think that our generation has a responsibility to be sort of a transition generation to empower the youth and sort of in our age group we're the people who are still actively outside doing things and we have our outdoor heroes who are doing things and we ask a lot of the outdoors and we're the people that are teaching and raising kids and raising the youth who are going to give us hope for true change in the future and so i think that these outdoor athletes who have a voice and have a following um, and are passionate about nature, I think these are the, the people that are going to draw in more attention to the problem and maybe get the people who are outside um, to pay a little bit more attention to what's around them and, you know, pick things up or better, not leave things behind. Birds, you know, like, yeah, yeah. But footprints sort of mentality. And I, I like mm -hmm. it. I can't wait to, to hear these interviews because these are people that live and breathe the outdoors and it's what's given them their careers and those massive followings. So if they can motivate people to take care of um what you know uh don't destroy what you came to enjoy is a good one <laughs> <laughs> nice. it was an o'neill slogan back in the day because <laughs> i mean yeah it's what gave me my inspiration you know it sounds like it's what gave you your inspiration is just being at one with nature so if we yeah. can, um do our best to take care of it along the way then hopefully we'll see the end of this and which i, I very strongly believe we are going to see the end of this crisis and then we can kind of come out the other side hopefully a little bit more responsible and um yeah. we already seen nature regenerate so we're gonna have uh, nature on steroids when we come out yeah hopefully sounds great <laughs> right, well yeah. then, take care. thank you very much for that i'm gonna stop recording now